Hello, and welcome to the Physical Preparation Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Robertson, and I'll be joined on the line later today by Alex Waney. Now, before we jump into this week's episode, I'm going to give you a very brief update on iFast, and then we're going to change gears to something that's a lot more positive. So with regards to the gym, because people have been asking, yes, we have been shut down, unfortunately, for as little as two, but most likely as long as four more weeks. Kind of sucks. Uh, The analogy I've been using is I feel a little bit like Charlie Brown. If you remember the old Charlie Brown comics and videos where Lucy puts the football down and he runs up and tries to kick it. And every time he does, she pulls it away and he like, you know, like flips over and lands on his back. That's kind of how I feel with this, because I keep thinking that we're going to get to reopen. And then, you know, for whatever reason, we get pushed back further and further. So, look, that is what it is. Uh, At this point, I just told all of the members, you know, billing is paused. We will reopen as soon as we can, but for the time being, we're just going to say that we are closed indefinitely until we have a better understanding of when we can actually open because I'm with them. I'm with my people. Like I'm just tired of getting my hopes up and then having them dashed once again. So that is what it is. Let's move on. Let's talk about things that I can control and that I am pretty excited about. So I basically made two lists. I've got my personal list and my professional list. So we'll start personal first. Number one, I don't know if you follow me on the gram. If not, you should. I feel like it's a probably a decent follow for you. But I did get my weight room slash video room pretty well set up in my basement. It's still a work in progress, but I've got the flooring down. I've got my whiteboard up. I moved the rack that was in my garage downstairs. Got a couple kettlebells in there. So it's pretty Spartan. Uh, I'd like to definitely add an adjustable dumbbell set at some point in time and some kettlebells. But with uh, the financial situation, I'm I'm sure you're there as well. Um, I'm not really looking to make big investments in things that I could deem as more accessory. So it is coming and I'm excited to start shooting some videos out of there. One thing I am not super happy with is kind of the lighting. I got some some nice lights, but I haven't totally figured out how to set them up so that the whiteboard looks the way that I want it to. I'm getting this nasty reflection. So I'm going to have to get uh, Paul, my video guru, to come and help me set that up. But excited that that's coming together on a negative note, sort of personally slash professionally. The streak is broken. I went for 44 days consecutively where I was posting on Instagram. Most of those days, there was also a video up on YouTube as well. I don't want to say I ran out of content, but it was just one of those days where everything was happening. I got super busy. It got to be like 930 at night. I realized I hadn't shot anything, but honestly, I could trace it back to generally on Monday. I will set up my social media playlist for the week, if you will. I didn't do it that week. So like Monday and Tuesday, I was kind of scrambling. So then Wednesday came around and I was done for. Didn't get it done. So Time to start a new streak. I'm excited to make that happen, but uh, yeah, I will get to 90 days sooner or later. Pizza Movie Night has been a smashing success. We went through the Cars series. That was Cade's choice and then alternated that with various princess movies. So that was fun because I still like that Kendall likes to watch you know, princess movies and we had not, or at least I don't think I had ever seen The Princess and the Frog ever. Like, I don't think I'd ever seen all of that. And I was pleasantly surprised at that. It was very entertaining. So enjoyed that. And then as I'm recording this, it is Star Wars Day. 
So I am just like going through like full nerd mode because, you know, we were doing the princess movies and all that, but now we're back into Harry Potter. And then today is Star Wars Day. So when I'm done, kids and I are going to go watch the final episode of The Clone Wars. So we are nerding out pretty hard around here. So if you're a nerd too, hopefully you enjoy Star Wars Day. There's all kinds of cool stuff today. I feel like last episode of The Clone Wars, there's supposedly like a Mandalorian making the Mandalorian documentary coming out, Rise of Skywalker's out on Disney Plus. So excited, you know, for all that stuff. And just, I mean, I was thinking about it today. I walked the dog and, you know, with all the the professional stuff and all the stress that comes with having your kids around all day, it's pretty nice that pretty much every day I can have breakfast, lunch, and dinner with my kids right now. So that part is definitely awesome. On the professional side, making some moves, trying to get myself almost 100% digital with regards to my online training and coaching. So what I mean by that, it's always been digital, obviously. But in the past, what I would use was either Excel in the very early days or more recently Word. I mean, everything was hyperlinked and it was really nice. I mean, it was easy to follow, but I wanted something just a little bit sexier for lack of a better term. So in recent months, I moved over to Train Heroic, really enjoying that platform. It's definitely a learning curve, at least for me. I mean, I'm in my 40s, so everything (laughs) technology-wise, I feel like has a little bit steeper learning curve now than it did 10 years ago. But definitely liking the platform. And most importantly, I know my athletes are really liking it. The people that I'm training remotely love the fact that they don't have to go somewhere else to go watch a video. Like they don't have to have it on their phone and their email or in their messages and then like click a link and then go to YouTube and then go back. It's all embedded right there. They can track their weights. There's a pre and post workout questionnaire so they can make sure that they're feeling right and I can see how they're feeling each and every day. So it's a really sweet setup. You know, I don't get paid anything to say that. I just think so far I'm very happy with that platform. The videos, right, until last week, I mean, I cranked out 44 days in a row, so I was feeling good about that. Need to uh, come up with some new content and basically just need to lock myself in my basement for about an hour one day and knock some stuff out. For whatever reason, Cade loves shooting videos with me and just hanging out and doing that, so I need to get that done, and uh, those will continue to come. Don't worry about that. Podcast downloads. So the podcast has been super consistent for like the last four or five months. Very happy with where it's at. We're looking at 26, 27,000 downloads every month, which I think is pretty darn good for a niche industry like the fitness industry. But one thing I would really like to do is hit 1,000 per month. So have a couple months where we cross 30. So I ask it later in the show or at at the end, but man, if you'd be willing, if you're not already subscribed to the show, I feel like we've got really good people week in and week out. We've got great content. So if you're not already subscribed, do that. If you are subscribed, man, take two or three of your favorite shows and send it either to somebody in the fitness industry, a coach, a trainer, somebody that just likes working out and share this with them. It would mean the world to me. And I think the more people we can expose to the awesome people that I have on this show, then our industry is immediately in a better place. Upcoming people. So last week was a big podcast week, right? So generally I try and knock out three or four episodes in a day. It just works better. I mean, it's a long day and I really have to be switched on and it's been 
vastly more difficult when working around e-learning schedules and kids Zoom calls and wife working from home. But it's just, that's the best way to do it versus kind of piecemealing them and doing like one a week or whatever. I just don't like doing it like that. It's just easier this way. So upcoming, I've got some awesome people. I've got Matei Hasavar coming back on the show. He's working on finishing up a master's in sports science. And I just think he's just such an awesome guy to talk to. So Matei's coming back on. I've got Erica Suter. Uh, hopefully I'm pronouncing her last name correctly, but she is awesome in the soccer space. So I'm going to have her on. Yori Peagle. I'm not sure if I'm saying his last name right either, um, but he's pretty big name in European basketball as far as physical preparation goes. And then Nick Grantham, who's a guy that, man, I had conversations and email threads back and forth with probably 12, 15 years ago, just kind of fell out of communication and we just kind of picked things back up. So I'm going to get Nick on the show. So really excited uh, about some of them. That's going to be in May. So I've got a nice lineup coming up with them. And then last but not least, iFastU. So you're going to get the little standard message here in just a minute about iFastU. Little bit of a snafu there. So when Lance kind of gave us all the information, Bill and I decided we were going to kind of take things back over, revamp it, rebrand it. Lance gave us all the information. I passed it over to Matt Sizemore, who's like our web tech guy. And Matt's like, yeah, this should be pretty straightforward. I'm going to get everything updated. I'm going to put in like the new membership platform that Bill and I wanted to use and we can roll. So literally we're thinking this is like a three, five, maybe seven day process max. So Matt gets in and realizes, oh, well, yeah, when I updated like some of the back end stuff, the entire site crashed. So then we start digging in and we find that the theme doesn't work with like new levels of PHP. And that just sounds like gobbledygook to me, but basically the old theme is no longer supported. So not only do we have to try and take all the information that's on there, but we need to update the entire website, create a new theme, da 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 da. So with that being said, we have not forgotten about iFastU. iFastU will be up very, very shortly, even if it's in a base minimum viable product type format initially. And then we're going to start re-adding things as we go. So if you are listening to this and you are not signed up, go to iFast University. There should be a web form there. If the site is not live yet, you can at least sign up through the web form to get notifications so you'll know when it's up and when it's running because, man, Bill and I are so excited to get this back out there. The discussions that we've had over the last six months where his head is at, some of the stuff that I've taken from his intensive and that I'm now using with my athletes and just like the clarity that I have when I'm working with different athletes now, super, super excited to get that, that out there. So this has gone a little bit longer than usual, but hopefully you don't mind. Just wanted to keep you guys updated and abreast as to what's going on. I hope you're surviving this very strange quarantine time that we are all living in and doing your best, right? Like some people are thriving. I think most of us are surviving. And I think surviving right now, trying to keep everything together and put band-aids on things and just try and get through the next couple weeks is a very viable goal, right? It's pretty hard to thrive in this environment, but do what you can, keep grinding because sooner or later, we're going to be on the back end of this and we're going to be back to crushing life. So quick break, and then we're going to jump into this awesome, awesome show with my boy, Alex Wayne. One thing Bill Hartman and I have talked about for years now is the power of mentorship. Early on, I didn't have a mentor to shape or guide me. 
or most importantly, help me find the blind spots in my own training and coaching. But luckily, after many years of trial and error, I found Bill, and my professional success exploded as a result. But the downside to the mentorship process, at least professionally, is that it can be pricey. For private mentees that I work with, it costs anywhere from $3.99 to $5.99 per month to work together. And while I know the results go far beyond that price, the fact of the matter is that just won't work for a lot of folks. So when Bill and I sat down a while back, we asked ourselves a really tough question. How can we help shape the future of the industry and truly make it great? And beyond that, how can we create amazing content yet make it affordable to virtually every trainer or coach out there? And the answer for us was simple, restart iFast University. Here's what you'll get when you become a member of iFast University. One update each month from myself and Bill. This could cover anything from improving exercise technique to writing better programs and everything in between. Twice per month Q&As, where Bill and I will personally answer your questions to help you become better at training, coaching, or even running your fitness business. A Facebook group where you'll be surrounded by like-minded trainers and coaches who are serious about getting better, and access to the iFastU archives, where you'll be able to watch literally hundreds of pieces of content from the iFast team over the years. This blend of content and Q&A is specifically designed to help make you the best trainer or coach possible. If you're interested in learning more, head on over to ifastuniversity.com to get signed on. We'd love to have you on board. Alex Waney is the performance director and co-owner of PitFit Training in Indianapolis, Indiana, where he has worked for the past seven years. Alex primarily works with high-level motorsports athletes from IndyCar, NASCAR, and numerous other racing series, both at their Indianapolis facility and remotely across the world. In this show, Alex and I talk about how his bro basketball dreams dried up when he stopped growing, how he got started in professional motorsports, and the talk that kept him in the game, and then we take a deep dive into the performance traits necessary to be successful on the track and how to build them in the gym. This is a really awesome interview, and I know you're going to love it. But enough for me. Let's do this. Alex, man, thanks so much for coming on the show here today. Really excited to chat with you. Could you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, first off, thanks for having me on, Mike. It's just a, it's an honor to actually be here. So, But like you said, I'm the performance director of PitFit Training in Indianapolis, across the town from you guys at iFast. Yep. Hoosier born and raised, you know, been here all my life, except spent a year and a half at school in Tennessee, started working in the industry back in 2011 while I was finishing up my degree from your alma mater, Ball State. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. And been a pivot ever since. Love it, man. Love it. So talk to me, what led you to the world of physical preparation? What got you started in all of this? <laughs> Well, those who can't do teach, right? Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. that's great. Yes. Yeah. So I think my answer is probably similar to a lot of people in this profession. You know, I've loved athletics for as long as I can remember. And I was a decent, but not a great athlete, which, you know, fortunately I came to realize fairly early on, you know, I'm a pretty competitive person, sometimes to a fault. And, you know, I hated losing. So, you know, from a fairly young age, I developed this mindset that I was going to outwork everybody. You know, and that worked up until the point when I stopped growing at five foot seven. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you know, even though like, you know, my dreams of, you know, becoming a, a major league baseball pitcher or, you know, starting point guard for the Indiana Pacers was crushed. 
you know, I, I knew I needed to find a career path that involves sports. So I actually started out as a sports journalism major at the University of Tennessee. You know, but while I was there, I did what every every other failed athlete does in college. I started powerlifting. Yes. Uh, yeah. yeah, there we go. <laughs> so, you know, I just needed something to train for and to challenge myself with. But, you know, wanting, you know, being competitive and wanting to be as strong as possible, you know, I started researching how to train, kind of became my hobby. So, you know, really, I probably probably read more articles on T Nation than I did pages in my college textbooks at the time. Yeah. So, you know, so that kind of started planting the seeds, you know, for the path that I ultimately chose, you know, but I think what really made me make the switch to exercise science and the, the, the world of physical preparation was during my sophomore year. At the start of the spring semester, I got really sick to the point when I had to drop out and move back home. And oh, wow. I was, yeah, I was pretty much bedridden for about three months and couldn't do any training for for about four. So I went from, you know, 180 pounds, strongest I'd ever been to, you know, a 130 pound weakling. Yeah. <laughs> and, I didn't know that. I, yeah. So, you know, it was a while ago, but, you know, at the time I kind of identified as a power lifter. So that was kind of a, you know, a big blow to my ego, you know, but, you know, from that, from that place, you know, I was bound and determined to get back and and become stronger than ever. So really, it was during my first couple months getting back into training, you know, that I realized what I wanted to do with my life, which was, you know, to help, you know, specifically athletes reach their full potential, keep them healthy and prolong their careers. So, you know, that's the point where I decided like, hey, I'm going to transfer to Ball State and pursue an education in exercise science. That's awesome, man. So talk to me about that point of you're getting into Ball State, you're getting started there. Give us an idea from when you finish up school to your career path and just give us some insight as to, to what you do on the day-to-day basis now. Yeah. So, you know, I actually started training while I was in school at Ball State. So, you know, I felt I was a little bit behind, if you will. I took a year off after high school, transferred, I changed majors. So I didn't really want to waste any time. So, yeah. You know, I was working in Fishers, Indiana, and commuting up to Muncie, which is about a 45-minute trip each way. Yep. You know, so working full-time, going to school full-time, and commuting was a grind. Yeah. You know, it had it, it had its pros and cons. Like, I, I got a lot of hands-on experience early working with all different types of people, you know, which I think was huge in a lot of ways. But, you know, the downside is that my schedule was so packed, I never really had an opportunity or or it really took the opportunity to pursue multiple internships or undergo a, a true mentorship. So, you know, right. I did observation hours for school and had some shorter internships, but nothing that really ever allowed me to learn in depth under, you know, specific people. So, hmm. you know, ultimately, I think that stunted my growth in, in certain areas, but, you know, I did have some good hands-on experience at an early age. So, but anyway, uh, my senior year of school, one of my clients told me about PitFit. So I went and met Jim Leo, who, you know, yep. uh, and he convinced me that, you know, training race car drivers was a pretty badass gig. So, <laughs> <laughs> Which know. it is. Which yeah. it is, right? Yeah. And I mean, in my early 20s, it's like, hey, man, like, I can't turn down the opportunity to work with athletes at the highest level of their sport right out of school. So, right. you know, over the past seven years, I've gone from intern to an independent contractor to performance director and now part owner in the company. And, you know, I've loved pretty much every minute of it. That's awesome, man. So talk to me, like, were you into motorsports or was this something that you were like kind of naive to walking into? 
Oh man. To be honest, like for quite a while, even in the early days of PivFit, I thought I was still going to end up working with like football or baseball or something like that. You know, I would say I grew up as a casual race fan. Um, Okay. You know, I've gone to the Indy 500 every year since I was about five years old. Okay. And I've, you know, I've followed open wheel racing a fair amount, but you know, it definitely wasn't a passion of mine, like sports like baseball or basketball. So, okay. but you know, early on at PivFit, my now business partner, Jim sat me down and, you know, asked me what I wanted out of my career. You know, I was enjoying working there, but you know, still in the back of my mind, I wasn't sure I'd stay, you know, but Jim kind of put it like this. He said something to the tune of, you know, you can either be one of thousands of coaches working in football, basketball, or baseball, or you can be one of a few who can help raise the standard for training in motorsports. So, you know, that that kind of framed things in a way where I recognize, yeah, you know, I could I can be a high level coach in some other sport, but there are already, you know, tons of great coaches out there working in those fields, working to get to that get to that point. But, mm-hmm. you know, in motorsports, especially in North America, there's really a need for more high level coaches to raise the game to the level that, you know, the other major sports are already at, you know, so that that opportunity really appealed to me. Yeah. You know, I was enjoying working with the guys that I was working with, you know, and I thought Jim and I complimented each other. Well, you know, he has a great mind for business and is a master at networking. You know, I don't really have a passion for the business side of things. So, right. you know, that allowed me more time to pursue more opportunities to learn and better myself. So, you know, all in all, it was a great fit. And every year, you know, I grew to love my job more, the sport more. And I've definitely gained a far greater appreciation for, for what motorsports athletes do. So I think this is really instructive. And I didn't put this in the, the show notes, but I, I think this will be really instructive for the people that are listening because this happens to a lot of us, right? Mm-hmm. We know we want to work with athletes and then we get thrust into this position or working with a group that we're not familiar with, right? Mm-hmm. And I'd like to think as coaches, we're pretty malleable this time, you know, and the situation that we're going through right now has proven that. But talk to me about when you're getting started, like how do you dive in and start to understand the sport? Like what was your process there as a naive, essentially naive coach walking into this sports world? How did you start learning about that? What was your process like? Yeah, so, you know, it's a little different because, you know, you and I can go out and we can play basketball, we can play baseball, we can play football, but, you know, you can't go to an IndyCar team and say, hey, you know, let me take this thing for a joyride. <laughs> you know, so there's no way to really experience for yourself what's, you know, what's going on and what the, the you can't feel the physical demands that it takes to drive one of those cars. So, you know, a lot of it was, you know, yeah, I was doing some research and stuff, but a lot of it was just getting it straight from the drivers themselves, you know, creating that dialogue and trying to get an idea for, you know, what they were feeling and translating that into terms of what we needed to do in the training process to to better prepare them. Gotcha. Gotcha. So what are the physical demands? Because, again, like you said, we you can't go out and experience it. I can't go out and ex- experience it. So what are the demands that are placed on the body when they're trapped in this small, confined space going at extremely fast speeds for three to four hours at a time? Yeah. So, you know, another unique thing about motorsports is that there are a ton of different series. You know, so we we work with drivers from all different series and each series has different physical demands. You know, some are open cockpit, which allows for more airflow. So, you know, while it's hot, it's not quite as hot as a car like in NASCAR with a closed cockpit. 
And, you know, generally with an open cockpit, there's less exposure to carbon monoxide, which kind of has an effect on performance. So, hmm. you know, most series allow for power steering, whereas IndyCar doesn't, you know, plus series like IndyCar and Formula One, the open wheel cars have cars that, you know, produce a lot greater downforce, which magnifies the gravi- gravitational forces that, that drivers experience. But, you know, I'd say let's just use IndyCar as an example, since yeah. to me, that's it's probably the most physically demanding racing series in the world. Okay. You know, so, you know, a lot of people watch the Indy 500 and, you know, they think that driving an Indy car is kind of like driving your minivan around 465 <laughs> here in Indianapolis. Just, <laughs> But, you know, it's 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 definitely not the case. So, you know, first, when you think about the environmental factors, it's extremely hot. You know, cockpit temperatures in an Indy car climb north of, you know, 120 degrees Fahrenheit, wow. um, which actually it's even going to be hotter this year if we get back to racing because in the off season they implemented an aero screen, which is just basically like a big piece of plexiglass that protects the driver's head. So Hmm. definitely going to be reduced air circulations and thus, you know, higher temperatures. So, you know, but on top of the the high cockpit temperatures, they're also wearing flame retardant suits that don't exactly breathe too well. Right. You know, so obviously this in and of itself can significantly increase a driver's, you know, perceived level of exertion for, for other demands. So, you know, another environmental factor that I kind of alluded to was the exposure to carbon monoxide. So for those who don't know, carbon monoxide binds to hemoglobin, which pre- prevents the transportation of oxygen to, to working muscles. So, you know, for any car, this isn't quite as bad as a series like NASCAR, but still the amounts that they're exposed to have definitely been shown to have a fairly significant negative effect on performance. You know, and then, you know, from a strength perspective, obviously it's much different from a sport like football or basketball. You know, it's an endurance sport. So, you know, benching 400 pounds, running a 4440, you know, having a 40 inch vert aren't, aren't really going to help you. So, you know, but that said, there is, there's definitely a need for, you know, static, dynamic and reactive strength. Yeah. You know, the, the lower body demands aren't that great, but, you know, a driver still needs to be able to generate close to about 1500 PSI on the brake pedal. So, you know, on a road or street course, you know, where you're turning right and left and you actually have to use the brake, it's essentially like doing an explosive 135 pound plate press every few seconds for a couple hours. Really? Uh, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. crazy. <laughs> so, you know, that's something that it... Most of our guys never really have an issue with that, but we do run into thing certain scenarios in which, you know, we really have to develop the lower body. So it's somewhat of a concern, you know, but as far as the upper body is concerned, you know, as I mentioned earlier, there's no power steering in IndyCar. So, you know, it takes anywhere from about 35 to 45 pounds of force output to turn the wheel. You know, so on, on road courses, they have to turn and hold roughly, you know, three to five seconds over and over again, several hundred times throughout the course of a race. And on ovals, particularly short ovals, you're pretty much turning the whole time so your arms don't get much rest. So, right. you know, but it's more than just static strength as well. You know, when those cars get loose or the rear end starts to slide in a turn, the resistance from the wheel essentially just disappears. You know, the driver has to make a correction to prevent the car from spinning. And at some point the car regains its grip and then bam, the resistance comes back and the wheel violently jerks back the other way. So, you know, you got to be able to generate that force fairly quickly at times. 
you know, so there's definitely an element of reactive strength in IndyCar. You know, and then I'd say the last thing is, you know, really demands on the neck are probably the most unique aspect to motorsports. At some tracks, these guys are pulling four to five Gs, which essentially wow. turns your head into a 60-pound pendulum. <laughs> so, you know, if you can't hold your head up under those forces, it's it's going to affect your vision. You know, so you're going to miss the apex of corner and, and lose precious time. You know, and when you add all that up, uh, the environmental factors, the other physical demands, you know, along with the adrenaline that comes with going over 200 miles per hour, these guys end up working at heart rates upwards of you know, 75% of their, their max heart rate for a couple hours without any break, really, except for a couple eight-second pit stops. So, right. you know, these guys really have to be elite-level endurance athletes. That's crazy. Okay. So you've kind of yeah. laid out the demands and obviously massive upper body, lower body endurance effects, neck. There's a lot going on there. So how do you go about building a better or a superior race car driver in the gym? Where do you start with them? Yeah. So, you know, like I already said, it's it's really a matter of talking to the driver, you know, trying to you know get an idea for, you know, what they're feeling in the car and translating that to you know, to what we need to do in the training process. But, you know, really, once you grasp what the drivers need, it really just boils down to efficiency. So, like, yeah, I can help prepare them for the work capacity and power requirements, but, you know, how economical are they with energy use in doing so? You know, so the way the way we kind of look at things is, you know, obviously energy is the currency of performance. Um, and in any sport, energy is going to be used to deal with one of three things. It's going to go to physiological demands, cognitive tasks, and environmental factors. So now those three all overlap in some manner, but the goal is to make the driver as efficient as possible in dealing with all three of those errors. So areas, but as far as environment, there are several factors that we really can't make a huge impact on. You know, experience is really the best thing to, to kind of minimize the energy use that goes towards dealing with environmental stressors. But with something like the heat, we can definitely improve their efficiency working in those high temperatures. So, you know, for one, being in better physical condition is, is going to reduce the negative impact of the heat. But, you know, beyond that, we incorporate some heat acclimation training into the preseason process and at some points within the season just to optimize the body's thermoregulatory processes. From a cognitive standpoint, you know, these guys have a lot going on during a race other than the physical demands that we already talked about. They they have a lot of sensory inputs to respond to. They obviously have to worry about driving the car, hitting the apex of each turn, passing other cars and defending against cars that are trying to pass them, you know, and at the same time they have to you know, worry about saving fuel or conserving their tires. You know, they have to feel what's going on within the car so they can make adjustments to things like, you know, the weight balance or downforce to get the most out of the car during the race. And then they have this, like a spotter in one ear talking to them over the radio and race strategist or a crew chief in the other ear. So uh, there's a lot going on for them to process. And, you know, they have to have this laser-like focus for, you know, the whole duration of the race because, you know, you let that focus go at, you know, 230 miles per hour, even for a second, you're traveling a football field per second. So a lot wow. can happen in just that split second. So now as far as what we can do to improve sensory processing, it's, you know, it's far from an exact science. 
you know, there are definitely studies out there that have shown that cognitive or, you know, brain endurance training has reduced the rates of perceived exertion during endurance training or events in comparison to, to uh, you know, the control groups without. But, you know, the field is still very much in its infancy. So, you know, there's a lot more research that needs to be done. You know, so I guess to some level, a lot of a lot of what we do in that realm is guesswork to some degree as far as, you know, what methods and in what amounts. But ultimately, though, we, we incorporate drills into the training session that, you know, challenge a driver's working memory or problem solving ability using, you know, some sort of like visual auditory or tactile input. You know, and we generally do this under a level of fatigue similar to what they experience in the car. So, you know, this is this is definitely an area in which we're looking to to learn more and refine our processes, you know, as more research comes out. But, you know, at the end of the day, our de- our drivers definitely see a benefit to it. And, you know, if it gives them a higher level of confidence in the car, then they're going to perform better. So absolutely. You know, and then from a strength standpoint, you know, a great part of it is knowing the point of diminishing returns. So yeah, these guys have to have a strong upper body, but they also can't add a whole lot of mass. You know, it benefits them to be a little on the lighter side. So our challenge is to make sure they have an adequate amount of strength and the least body mass possible. So, you know, and then finally, these guys have to be very well conditioned. You know, they need to have a very well-developed aerobic system and, you know, to some degree, lactic and alactic as well. So, you know, all in all, what we tell our guys is that, you know, the more efficient we can make you in dealing with these factors, the less energy you're going to burn and the longer you're going to be able to go out and execute your your skills at 100 percent. So random question here. Mm -hmm. But is there like a standard size for, say, indie car drivers? Like I'm just thinking like you think about efficiency on like horse riding, right, or Mm -hmm. horseback racing. I mean, the, the jockeys are small, but, you know, obviously I'm assuming these guys are a little bit bigger and they got to carry a little bit of muscle. But, you know, what is is there an average size or do you have all different shapes and sizes? So, you know, we've worked with, you know, drivers that are five, three, five, four and like 120, 130 pounds. And then, you know, we've also had a guy that was like six, three, six, four and, you know, about 200 pounds. So, oh, wow. you know. And then there's everything in between, you know, so I'd say most people are actually kind of built somewhat like me, which is, you know, kind of nice being a, yeah. <laughs> on the shorter side. You know, I don't have to like crane my neck looking up at a 6'6 <laughs> a basketball player all day. But yes. yeah, so there's there's some variety. I'd say most most guys are, you know, in the like 5'9", five, 5'10 five, range, you know, and roughly 150, 160 pounds. Gotcha. Yeah, because it sounds like relative strength. You know, you can't be just a huge human being and have a ton of relative strength and a ton mm-hmm. of endurance and a ton of efficiency. So I kind of figured they would be a little bit more, I don't want to say on the small side, but more on the slender side, right? They, there's a, not a lot of wasted space there, so to speak. For sure. For sure. So in most sports, we tend to break down our training. We have off-season training and we have in-season training. So I'm curious, is this something that you do in motorsports as well? And if so, what are the changes that you might make when designing an in-season versus an off-season program? Yeah, so, you know, again, it depends on the series. For example, a lot of sports car series are practically year-round. So they wrap up in late October and then, 
you know, they start back up the first of the year, you know, and they have holidays in between, obviously, which makes things a little tricky. So fortunately for those guys, they have some pretty big gaps between races and their schedules. So that allows us to, you know, it, it gives us some time to develop whatever traits they may need. You know, for IndyCar, they have a five months five month off season. So, oh, wow. you know, that's it's, nice. yeah, that's, that's really nice. So, you know, a lot of guys are doing other races in that time, you know, but it still gives us, you know, more than enough time to get them ready for the next season, which obviously makes you know my life a lot easier. And then once we're in season, you know, it's primarily just maintenance mode. You know, there are a couple spots on the IndyCar calendar where they have a couple weeks off. So we have time to develop certain areas or regain some adaptations that may have been lost. So when we have these times, we'll ask the driver, you know, what track that's coming up on the schedule they really want to prepare for and what they feel they need to develop a little bit more for that track, you know, which that's actually another really unique thing about racing is, you know, in most sports, the playing field is the same wherever you go. But in racing, it's, you know, a different track each week. You know, in IndyCar, there are ovals, there are road courses, street courses, and, you know, each of these offers their own unique physical challenges. So, you have to understand what is required to perform at the highest level possible at each track. So, yeah. And then, you know, with a series like NASCAR, they have a fairly short off season. It's about three months, which, you know, is still plenty enough time to get them ready for the start of the season. But then when the actual season starts, you know, they're, they're pretty much every weekend. And, you know, with, you know, with this layoff with COVID-19, it's going to be crazy when they get back going because, you know, they're planning on doing two races a lot of weeks. Oh, wow. um, so like a race on a Wednesday, a race on a Sunday. So, you know, we really don't have the luxury of having breaks to, to rebuild or improve in the middle of the season. So, you know, it's, it just comes down to maximizing the recovery between races, monitoring stress and making sure that you get in the right amount and type of training whenever they have time in their, in their calendar to, to maintain performance through the whole season. Gotcha. So you said generally NASCAR, I feel like, don't they race pretty much every week, like yeah. every weekend? What about IndyCar? Are there gaps there? Like, Yeah. So the IndyCar schedule is really, it's, it's really unconventional. So okay. like the first part of the season, generally there's like a race in early March and then it's like a few weeks off and then it's another race. And then, you know, they'll have a couple back to back to back races then they get to the month of May and it's pretty much all here at Indy. Right. And then June and July, it's a little bit more, you know, what you would expect. It's every single weekend. Right. And then once you get to the back half of the season, there are again a couple couple different spots where they have a week or even two weekends off between races. Gotcha. Now the reason I asked is I'm just thinking in soccer, right? You mm-hmm. kind of know there's a rhythm to soccer in the sense that every Saturday you've got a game or in football, every Sunday you have a game and you base the weekly calendar off that, right? Like the training calendar. So I know if I got a soccer match on Saturday, Tuesday is probably going to be our heavy lifting day. Thursday, we're going to do some stuff in the gym, but it'll be lighter. And then Saturday, we're going to play another match. Do you have like a system or like a flow like that with what you do? Or is it just too dynamic to really kind of have that, that kind of, I don't know, structure, I guess. Yeah. So Again, it depends on what part of the season we're in. Right. I'd say it's a little bit more generally when they're in a phase where they're doing the back to back to back races, you know, the guys are getting back late on a Sunday. So, you know, and having competed on a Sunday, not a whole lot we're going to do on Monday, you know, so might have them come in and just do something more, you know, along the lines of, uh, you know, some mobility work or something like that. 
you know, and then they, they take off again on Wednesday or Thursday. So we really have like one, maybe two days to get some work in, you know, and again, you know, we're, we're monitoring, you know, their, their readiness for training. So we know, you know, how much stress are they capable of handling on those days? Because we obviously want to make sure that, you know, when they get out on track for practice on a Thursday or Friday, they're, you know, at a hundred percent ready to go. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's great, man. So young coaches listening in and they want to be the next Alex Wani, right? Like they want to get into training motorsports athletes. What advice would you give them to be successful in starting their career? Man, that's, that's kind of a tricky question. You know, I walked into a great situation where, you know, my partner, Jim Leo, he's pretty much the godfather of motorsports <laughs> performance training in America. Right, right. You know, so he had already spent years making all these connections and developing a brand. So, you know, I, I just walked into a role where I could use my skill set to, you know, help advance the training process and not have to worry about making connections and, and getting my name out there. So, you know, but I would say the place to start is probably with karting clubs or sports car clubs. Um, especially if you don't live in Indianapolis or you don't live in Charlotte, North Carolina, where NASCAR teams are based, you know, these, these kind of clubs are scattered all over the country. So, you know, if you can go and start making connections there, you can kind of get your foot in the door, you know, with karting, you have a lot of young kids who are rapidly advancing to faster and, and more physical carts, but they have no training background. And then with sports car clubs, it's a lot of rich old guys who are just really out of shape. So there's definitely a need in those two areas. You know, and then as far from as far as an educational standpoint, I would definitely recommend, you know, the science of motorsport by my friend David Ferguson, who is a doctor of physiology up at Michigan State University, has done some great, great research, which he's kind of summarized in that book. So that's kind of a must read just to kind of get an idea of, of what the demands of, of motorsports are. And then beyond that, I'd say it's, it's important to really have a good grasp of conditioning. So, you know, Joel Jameson's ultimate MMA conditioning and the BioForce coaching cert was, they were really instrumental in helping me form some of my principles and, and give me a clearer vision of what the training process should look like. I love it, man. So big question time, my guy. If you could alter the space-time continuum, and give young Alex Wani one piece of advice about training and or life, what would it be? Oh, man. <laughs> so many things, man. You know, I'd say the biggest one is be patient with yourself. You know, when you're motivated to get better at something, it's way too easy to be your own worst critic. Yes. You know, so I, I tell myself, don't be afraid to make mistakes. Perfection is not the goal. Progress is. You know, mistakes can be your greatest learning tools. So, you know, just be patient in the process and, and don't get ahead of yourself. I love it. Okay, my guy. Last but not least, we've got our lightning round. So four fairly short questions, but your answers can be as short or as long as you'd like. All right? Yep. Here we go. Number one, what's your career highlight so far as a coach? You know, seeing seeing your athletes have success is, is always great. So when a driver wins a race or a championship, it's it's a very rewarding experience, but you know, on, on more of a personal side, we had a driver named Robert Wickens who was in a really, really bad accident two years ago. So he broke pretty much every bone in his body and suffered a really bad spinal cord injury. So, you know, it's been a long road back and there's still a long way to go, but being 
just a part of his recovery team has been extremely rewarding. It's, you know, challenged me in new ways, you know, but ultimately he got married last fall, you know, just a little over a year after his accident. And the fact that he could stand up and dance with his wife at his wedding, you know, it just, it's like, it's bringing tears to my eyes right now. So, you know, to me, just, just being a, a small part of that is probably the most rewarding experience that I've had so far. I love it, man. That's awesome. Number two, you're in a role now where you get to mentor young coaches at PitFit. What has that experience been like for you? (laughs) To be honest, it's been a huge learning experience for me. You know, it's really forced me to get better. You know, it's one thing to know something, but to teach it and communicate it to others and in a way that they can understand is is definitely a challenge, you know, to, to make the complex simple. You know, it really shows you how well you 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 know something. So, you know, that's an area in which people like Bill and yourself have really helped me learn how to communicate these complex ideas to somebody in a more easy to understand way. I love it, man. Okay. Number three, you kind of mentioned Bill and I, and obviously we've Mm -hmm. both done some mentoring for you. So you've seen both sides of the equation. So what has it been like, or what have you learned from that experience of now having people that are helping mentor you and help you grow? You know, it's, it's been great. Now, I, I feel like when, you know, I, I really started seeking your guys' help, I was at a place where I had a I had a pretty reasonable breadth of knowledge, but not a whole lot of depth of knowledge. And, you know, so I think our, our work together has really helped me dig deeper in some areas. Like Bill's Intensive was one of the greatest educational experiences of my life. You know, it's amazing to to learn and continue to learn from him and, and all the other great coaches and practitioners in that group, you know, and it's really helped me develop more ironclad principles off of which I can, can build, you know, and I think the biggest thing that, that you've helped me with is, is tying all the pieces together. So, you know, I feel like my generation of coaches is kind of blessed with the opportunity to, to stand on the shoulders of giants like Bill and yourself, you know, and we live in an information age where, you know, we can pretty much access any information we want immediately, you know, but the downside is, is that if you're type A personality, you know, like me, you can (laughs) kind of fall into this, this pattern where you just want to devour all this information as quickly as possible. And it's, you know, it becomes really easy to not take the time to, to truly digest it and, and see how it fits with your existing knowledge base. So, you know, I think especially over the last couple months, you guys have really helped me, you know, start to fit all the pieces together. And, you know, I feel like I've hit a point uh, where my growth as a coach has really, really taken off again. You know, so it, and it's and it's great to have guys like like you who can offer guidance on on where to go next to get to where I ultimately want to be. Yeah, I appreciate that, man. And I think. What, I think it was Frank Shamrock. I don't know. I get the Frank and Ken. I got <laughs> confused, but they always talk about like the plus equal minus mm-hmm. approach to martial arts, right? Like you should always learn from somebody better. You should always be working against somebody that's equal as you, and you should always be teaching somebody below you. And Absolutely. I think that's just such a great point for coaches as well, because I mean, look, like there's something at each point, right? Like you need to be challenged by somebody who's superior. You need to work with somebody who's equal to you and bounce ideas off them. And then mm-hmm. you need to be teaching somebody below you. And if you're doing that, it kind of covers all of those different areas for you. So great stuff, yeah. man. Okay. Last but not least, number four, what's mm-hmm. next for Alex Wani? Once we get released back yeah. into the world, what are you going to be doing? 
And I was, yeah, I was about to say, like, hopefully <laughs> just racing season will kick back up again here soon. Um, yes. You know, I'm, I'm just looking forward to to getting out of the house and, and back in the gym and, you know, coaching again. Yes. You know, I'm kind of kind of over the whole Zoom conference thing. <laughs> but, you know, beyond that, just continuing to learn and grow, you know, particularly in the area of, you know, cognitive training. You know, there are just so many questions that don't yet have good answers. So, I'm looking forward to reading more research as it comes out and connecting with, you know, some of those researchers that are on the front lines trying to push that area forward. I love it, man. Well, Alex, you've been amazing to chat with today. Truly appreciate your time. Where can listeners find out more about you and what you've got going on? Well, I'm not I'm not a big tweeter, but <laughs> we can connect on Facebook or you can uh, hit me up on Instagram at Alex underscore Wayne, W-A-N-E-E, or you can email me at awaney at pitfit.com. You know, I'm always looking to connect with others who are passionate about our field. Did you look at the show notes before we did this? I'm not sure. Do you see so. at the very top, it says confirm pronunciation of last name. I think I've called you Wani ever since <laughs> I've known you. And, <laughs> and I've known you like 10 years, man. How do I mess up your last name? Man, I, I've been going through that for like 31 years of my life. So okay. <laughs> just kind of, yeah, just kind of brush it off. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, Alex, <laughs> dude, thanks again for coming on, man. This was really great to catch up and I appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you for having me on again, Mike. my friend that does it for this week's show with Alex sincerely hope you enjoyed it Alex is just an awesome human being I've been lucky to know him for for many years now and getting to work with him personally in the professional mentoring sense has definitely made me grow to respect him even more because he's such a dedicated guy he works so hard to improve his own systems to give his athletes and the coaches that he works with a better training result so can't say enough good things about him and I hope you enjoyed this episode and if you did Got a small favor to ask. So a while back, it might have been two years ago now, I made it a goal to hit 30K downloads in a month. So I want to hit that goal again. It's been a little while. We're consistently 26, 27 downloads, 27,000 that is, <laughs> downloads in a month. So I would love to get back to that. So if you're not already, make sure you subscribe. Doesn't matter. Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, the, the podcast is everywhere. If you're not subscribed, do that now. If you are subscribed, thank you. Share this episode with somebody that you think would benefit from it. You know, maybe somebody that's looking to get into motorsports, somebody that could deal to hear about the the value and the virtue of getting a mentor to help you out along the way. So again, as always, thank you so much for your support. Love and appreciate you. And we'll be back soon with our next episode. Take care. <laughs>